We're going to be in chapter 1 of 1 John. Before we uh, get into that, on your, in your bulletin there is, we want to do this quarterly, just give you a brief quarterly update of uh, where the church is financially, how we are doing, and if you look on there, uh, on the financial update, it will have a, a couple numbers for you. One is the budget of income for quarter one through three, which was uh, $247,500. The actual income is $280,000, uh, $724. Uh, we've brought in more than we have, have budgeted, which is a great thing. That's, that's literally never happened. Usually this time of year, we are dying till December. And so I just want to really thank you guys for your generosity, your giving. Um, and uh, we're having a good month so far. And, uh, and that uh, reflects in so many ways, so many things that we're able to do. And, um, and with that, and just want to thank you so much for your faithfulness to tithe and give and just to participate in God's purposes in that way. And it's really, really exciting to see uh, this uh, been such a battle for our church. And it's just good to see, see good news like this. So thank you so much. Um, if you have a Bible, it's 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. We are doing a series which we're calling Authentic. And in our church mission statement... Our, if you don't know, our church exists to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ. And we do this three ways. One's by growing spiritually. The second is by living authentically. And the third is by participating in his purposes. Honor the greatness of Jesus Christ by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. Now, if I were to ask you, uh, one of the things you would say you love is someone or something that is authentic. We all agree with that. We we love authentic. If a relic is authentic, it enhances its value. I've got a letter in my home that my grandfather gave to me, passed on in our family, that was written by George Washington during the Revolutionary War. It is worth something because it is authentic. And so we all have different ideas about what authentic is. I would encourage you sometime, I did this a couple of weeks ago, was just to get a piece of paper and write the word authentic on it and write down what comes to your mind when you think of authentic. Some of the things that came to my mind were, uh, one is old homes. Yeah, I think old homes are authentic. I don't know why. I just think there's something very authentic about old homes, old structures. Like, I love this facility for us. I've loved it ever since for eight years for our church to meet in because I just think something about old and classical and, you know, paint peeling off the ceiling, uh, although one day that will be fixed hopefully, but one day, you know, there's something about that that to me is just kind of grainy and, and authentic and, and really cool. You know, an old home, our ministry center is in a hundred-year-old house on Millage Avenue. Uh, it's 10 feet tall and floors creak and it's hardwoods and you know, pocket doors. And to me, there's something just authentic about that. You know, I think of authentic too. I think of maybe a, a really cool song, great hit song that someone takes and they strip it down and they just play it and sing it on a piano. You ever seen that happen? Or a, a guitar, very simple performance where the, the raw quality of the song is enhanced, the voice and the meaning and the 
singer's ability to really own that song and possess it really comes out. I just think there's something really authentic about a great unplugged performance. Really powerful. You know, last week um, we went to a movie, my wife and I with a some guys on our staff, and we went to a, uh, I won't tell you the name of it, but it was a very, it was rated 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a great movie. It was a special effects movie. And I just hated the movie. You know, my, Lily, my wife was for three days going, I can't believe you drug me to that movie. You know, we just, it just didn't, it just, something about a special effects movie just doesn't, we, Friday we went to go see a, a great movie uh, called a, a Man Named Ode. Real simple story. It was in Swedish. It had the um, closed captions, so you, you couldn't even understand the language, but it was a great story. It was funny without trying to be funny. It was really cool. And to me, it was just something very authentic about that movie, at Cine, no, no less. <laughs> and so when we talk about authentic, we have a lot of different ideas that will go off in our heads. But the, the original idea of authentic, as it's talked about in the Bible, and it's sometimes translated genuine or sincere, it literally means to unmask or to uncover something. Take away the paint, take away the veneer, and it's what is really, really, really true. And when we talk about Christianity being authentic, it's about taking away the veneer, it's about taking away the paint, it's about taking away the performances and, and some of our little preferences, but it's, it's really getting down to what is, what type of wood is underneath the paint? What type of grain? What type of quality is really underneath there? And when John writes his letter, he's writing it, it's, it's, this is probably the last book written in the Bible. It was written probably after Revelation was written. And John is writing about some concerns. He is looking around and he is seeing in where he lived in Ephesus, he's seeing movements in churches and sort of tendencies in the churches to sort of stray from an authentic Christianity. And he's identifying them and he's challenging and sort of trying to kind of reset and kind of get the Christian faith back on the right track. And he started out last week, we looked at three sort of doctrinal things that are true of Christianity. One is we, what we, who we believe Jesus is. And John describes him as eternal life manifest. He was the eternal God manifested in our temporal world. That's who he was. And John describes him as the one and only. He is it. There is no other. None are beside him. None are above him. All are beneath him. That is who Jesus is. And then he talked about what he did. He made atonement for our sins. He wiped away our sins. He cleansed us of our sin. And the last thing we talked about is where he is now. And, and the Bible says that he is living within us. First John is a great verse. It says, greater is he that is within us than he who is in the world. That simply means that as a believer, as a Christian, we understand that something powerful and dynamic has happened to us. That God's empowering presence dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And what that means is you and I can take on the challenges of sin, of life, of our background, of our past, of our fears, and we can in battle be successful. We can prevail. We have more 
on our side than is opposed to us. There's a certain attitude we need to have about spiritual growth and the, the importance and the dynamic of what happens when we connect with Christ. So those are three truths we looked at. Now I want to look at, read this passage and talk about just another aspect of authentic Christianity that John gets into. First John 1, 5, John reads and he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. It's chapter 2. Let's read a few verses there. He goes on, verse 1. My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if, we, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, here's a real, real simple thing that is absolutely essential if our Christianity is going to be authentic. We must calibrate our lives around the truth. It's real simple. But if our faith, if our Christianity is authentic, it's because we calibrate our lives around the truth. Now, if you read this section, John comes out of the block in verse 5. And he says it's about God. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And he is saying something about the nature of truth. And he's, he's referencing the creation. We know how Genesis 1 tells us the creation happened. There was a time when there was nothing. There was void. There was no time. There was no space. There was no matter. And God said, what did he say to begin the creation? Let there be light. Let there be light. Scientists tell us that when the universe began, for 380,000 years, all that existed in this expanding, dynamic universe was one thing, light, light, for 380,000 years, <sighs> flying out. God said, let there be light. There is a power to truth that is extraordinary. A power to it. You know, and we try to do all kinds of things to persuade people to come to Christ. You know that? We, we, and I think they're all good. We make great movies. We make great productions. We do all these great things. But I will tell you this. Nothing will persuade an unbeliever 
of the credibility of the Christian faith than a believer who lives it in their world 24-7. Nothing is more persuasive than your integrity about your beliefs to anybody, to your family, to your friends, to your workmates, to your neighbors. There is absolutely nothing as powerful as that. John says this, hey, light, God is light. There's no darkness in him. And then as he goes on here, he says this, and it's a, it's a really challenging thing. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we, what? Lie. And do not live out the truth. What's he saying there? And John's going to do this in this section. He's going to have several times he's going to say, if we claim, if we claim. What about if I claim I'm a Christian? I claim Jesus. That's my guy. But I don't live it out. What does John say about my confession? It's a what? It's a lie. It's a lie. And he just basically says, you know, if you don't practice it, you aren't it. You know, I could get out here and tell you I'm a swimmer. But if I jumped in a pool and swam a lap, you would, you would pretty quickly think, okay, that's not Michael Phelps in there. <laughs> Real quick. I could tell you I'm a golfer. But if I go out on a golf and try to hit, trust me, I can't hit a ball. It'd be very obvious that I don't practice golf. I'm not a golfer. Same way is true in our lives. If I say I am a believer, I'm a Christian, yet I go out and it's obvious that I'm not, you're a liar. And the truth's not in you. And John is, is he's, he is wanting to sear this in our minds and brand it that, hey, if we say we are Christians, we practice it. We live it out. That is not an option. We do what the Bible says. What it says about sexuality, we follow. And what that says is one man for one woman for one lifetime. Somebody says, well, you know, I got eyes, pastor. I got eyes. Yet Jesus talked about you having eyes. Here's what he said about those eyes. He said, if you lust in your heart, you commit adultery. And then he said the next verse, if your eyes offend you, pluck them out, because it'd be better to go to heaven blind than to go to hell with your eyes. He doesn't seem very understanding of our dilemma, does he, guys? You know, I see Christian businessmen talk about their business practices at times, and they'll go, well, you know, it's business. What, is it, what does that mean? What on earth does that mean? We can do a Bible study in the morning and pray, and we get at work, and when money's involved, it's okay if we lie and cheat and don't have integrity, run over people, because it's business, really? It's Christianity, friend where you work. It's business second. It's representing Christ first. You know, in our families, I don't know why it is. Maybe you're like me. I, I, some reason, I think it's great to treat everybody else good 
and be a great Christian to everybody else but my spouse. Anybody else like that? But you know what? I'm going to be honest. That's phony. Because the Bible tells us how as a husband, as a wife, we ought to treat our spouse. And if we're not doing it, we lie. We don't practice the truth. But the Bible says about money, about generosity, about giving. What it says about anger, about relationships. Look, if, if we're going to be authentic in our Christian life, and we say we love being authentic, we need to take this seriously. If we say but we don't practice, we lie. John says, if you claim it, you got to live it out. Look at the next thing here. And this is kind of interesting. You skip down to a few verses. Verse 8 is another claim that he hits here. And he says this in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us. And purify us. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word's not in us. And this is kind of throws you off a little bit. Because the first thing he says is what? If you claim you're a Christian and you don't live it, you're a liar. But then he says, if you claim you don't sin, what are you doing? You're deceiving yourself. And again, this is part of really calibrating ourselves around God's word. It's simply this, we're committed to living it out, but I know something about me at least, I'm very sinful. I am very vulnerable. I'm very, very painfully human. And I don't always walk it out. What he's saying here is that you know, you know, if, we, if we don't, if we act like we aren't sinning when we are, we don't deal with things that we know are wrong in our life. He's, you know, it's just not, that's not cool. There's a, there's a really uh, powerful parable. I mean, someone that asked me, what, what's my favorite parable of Jesus? And I know they're all great. You're supposed to say that. And they're all wonderful and they're all the same. But to me, the one I think is most important, or I think very relevant for where a lot of Christianity is in America, is found in Luke chapter 18. And it's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And what happens there is, Really interesting. Jesus uh, talks about a guy who's a Pharisee, and a Pharisee back then were religious leaders. They were guys like me, good Christian religious leaders. They were the, the respected clergy. And he went to the temple to pray, and there, it also there was a tax gatherer. There was a sinner, somebody who in society was very despised. Think about who that might be for you. Someone who you just think, oh, you know, come on. And that person's there. And the Pharisee goes in there and he goes, you know, I'm thank, thank you, God, I'm not like everybody else. I'm a tither. I don't do this. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't run with women that do. You know, I don't know what else he said, but he was, he was basically giving this line about how good he was, what he didn't do, and how wonderful a Christian he was. And then there was a task gatherer who was on his face and he was beating his chest. And he was crying out to God. He wouldn't even look up. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asked a question. Who do you think went away right with God? Who went away right with God? The, the confident, moral purist? Or the broken, defiled sinner? And you know who he did is the broken, defiled guy. And it is, it is so easy for us as Christians to be that guy once in our life 
to become a Christian and then become the other guy, the self-righteous, condescending. Being morally condescending is so invigorating. You ever been that way? I've been that way. To just think, I don't, it's incredibly intoxicating in a terrible way. And Jesus is pointing this out, that you know, we are still sinners. We need to calibrate our life. We need to check ourselves out at times. You know, when Simon Peter first came to Christ, he fell on his face and said, depart from me, I'm an evil man. Three years later, Jesus is about to be arrested. He said, you know what, I'll never leave you. I've become a different guy. And a few, few days later, he realized he wasn't that different. You ever had that experience in your life? It's always important we recalibrate ourselves. We check ourselves out. We go, you know, am I really living this out? Am I in sin? Check out our attitudes about other people, that we're not condescending and looking down on others. You know, there's a really, uh, there's a phrase that really ought to be true of Christians. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's, it's a phrase for someone who has been given a lot and thinks they earned it. It's, it says, that guy was born on third base and he thinks he hit a triple. Think about that for a second. I'll catch up with you. You baseball people. He's born on third base, and he thinks he hit a triple. You know, Christians, by the grace of Christ, we're born on third base, aren't we? Correct? We didn't get there on our own. Complete gift. Completely what he did. We, we don't need to act like we hit a triple. Amen? We don't need to act like we hit a triple. It's just very inauthentic. And this is the kind of thing Jesus is, is dealing with and John's really talking about here. And he, as he goes on, it's really kind of cool because we do confront our sin, we confess our sin, and he has this really powerful stuff, he says, that if we do that, God's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Now, how is it that God is faithful to forgive you and it's just like he's, it's what he's supposed to do? That's kind of an interesting thought. God's faithful to forgive you, and he's just, like it's the right thing for God to do, to forgive you. And he goes on to explain himself. He talks about how we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. An advocate is simply the same as almost a defense attorney. A defense attorney comes up and is basically making the case to the judge that you should be let off. Jesus is our defense attorney. And then he tells you what his evidence is. And his evidence is basically this. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He purifies us from our sins. Literally, it's as if Jesus goes to God. If you can imagine you owe $1,000 and you're going to go to jail for it. And Jesus comes to God and says, look, I paid that. Here's proof. You got to let him go. What a powerful thought. That's who Jesus is, our advocate. He steps in as we confess our sins, as we turn from our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And John Sott said that the essence of sin, the essence of sin is that man takes the place of God. The essence of salvation is that God takes the place of man. This is what he's saying here. 
First thing, we calibrate. We, we, calibrating our life around God's word means that we, we do not compromise God's word. We make a commitment to practice it. Second thing is that when we aren't practicing it, we're honest about it. We confess our sins. We don't keep pet sins. We don't make excuses. We confess them. We forsake them. And we trust God to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. The last thing is he wraps up here. I'll just be real brief with this. He just says uh, in chapter 2, Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate. Verse 2, he's the atoning sacrifice. 1 John 2, 3, For we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then the last one of these, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, again, is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But if we, anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in him. How do we love God? By obeying his word. How do we love God? Obey his word. This is how we come to know we are in him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be a Christian, whoever claims to be a believer, must live as Jesus did. You know, when we talk about things that are authentic, um, one of the things that I wrote down on my authentic list um, was a confession. Have you, anybody, I have a friend of mine who got me thinking this way. He's a, he's a counselor and, uh, here in town, great friend. And he, he told me that he collects, like on his YouTube, public confessions of celebrities and of political people or people that have been caught, pastors, tragically, who've been taught and how they handle being caught and having their sin uncovered. And we were talking and we, about that. And I was fascinated we were talking about it. And as we talked, we both agreed on one thing. The most powerful and authentic confession we ever saw was by a football player uh, who played quarterback here in Atlanta years ago, a guy named Michael Vick. And uh, he was uh, on top of the world Young athlete, signed a literally a $100 million contract, was on the cover of Madden Football, very popular, Nike commercials. And he just from his old life had a, a, a dog fighting ring. And he tried to cover it up and it came out and it uh, blew up on him and he ended up going to jail. He had a really harsh sentence, very, I think a very unreasonable sentence, a lot of people would say. When he got up to to the podium and he was realized his wealth was gone. He was going to be in jail for a long period of time. He got up and it was the most raw, honest, powerful confession you've ever seen. Genuine. He wasn't thinking about how to leverage this for the future or retaining something. He just was painfully honest with himself about what had happened. He went to jail for a year and a half. He got out, um, continued his football career, did real well. But what you know what's amazing about him is he had a chance to do chapter 13, run away from his bills. He didn't do that. He literally used all his money to pay up every bill he had. He walked it out. Powerful. Powerful thing. And there's something very powerful about the authenticity 
of you and I as professed Christians being very gut honest about who we really are before God's word and calibrating our lives according to it. We're not calibrating God's word according to our lives. We're calibrating our lives according to his word. No matter what it costs, no matter what we don't have in this life, we will do that. We will be authentic to what we believe. And that does not mean being perfect, but it means the practice of calibrating our life around his word and confessing our sins when we don't, when we don't. I'm going to close this one little powerful verse. It's in Isaiah 66, verse 2. God speaks and he says, Who will I look to and on whom will I show favor? He says, the one who has a humble and a contrite heart who trembles at my word. I just pray God bring a, a want for that into our lives. If we want that, if you want that, I'm going to tell you, your faith will be authentic and it will be powerful. It will be light bursting in darkness and, and God will use you in a special way. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for these clear just uh, guidelines on how to live a life that represents you and reflects you and honors your greatness in this life. And we are broken, fallible human beings. And we sin and we can lie to ourselves. And I've lied to myself so many times. And we have secrets and we we, we, we have areas that we just don't bring to you. And I, do, I pray in this moment, God, there are those of us here who are struggling with those areas, that you would, you would just give us grace to recalibrate areas of our life around your word, that our faith might be authentic, that we would have a humble and a contrite spirit. We'd be the type of people you look to, and we tremble at your word. In Jesus' name, Amen.